weather. We're grateful to God after a rough, cold spring and winter. It's good to see the sunshine. And it's good to see you too. As we uh, come before the Lord today, I want to remind you that we are gathered here together. It's the Spirit who calls us. It's the Spirit who gathers us together. We're here to, uh, to hear from God because we believe that God speaks to us. He speaks to us in his word. And we then have an opportunity to respond to him in worship. With prayers and songs of adoration to him for who he is and for what he has done for us in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's the spirit who calls us, who gathers us, who transforms us, and then who causes us to go as his missionary people to make disciples by baptizing and teaching them to obey all things. So we go to God's word. And I uh, invite you to read along with me on the screen as we read from 1 Peter. Our epistle lesson today is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 32, or 22. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, the the people to whom Peter is writing were suffering persecution. They were facing difficulty in life. Many of them were living under the injustices of slavery. Many of them were being harmed or beaten or they suffered injustice in life. He says in verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson taken from the 14th chapter of John's gospel, beginning with the 15th verse. Here Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In church, this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. We thank you that you love us. And because you first loved us, we love you. And we love your word. And we love your commands and we seek to obey them. Because you have given to us a new nature. You have washed away our sins. You have filled us with the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, through this great work which you've done in us, we now desire to love you and to obey your commandments. So I pray that you would work this message in our hearts and in our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would touch each person who's gathered here today, knowing that we all come here from various situations and difficulties and hardships in life. Lord, you know each and every one of us by name. You know exactly what is happening in every individual's life today. And none of us are here by accident. So I pray that in this service that you would speak and that you would minister to each in the way in which they need to be ministered to today. May you be glorified. May your name be lifted up among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says, if, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So today we're going to talk about the love and obedience connection. The connection between love and obedience. You will obey what you love. You will obey what you love. I love food. So when I'm hungry, I'm going to eat food. And even if I'm not hungry, if food is put before me, I'll probably eat food. Because I obey what I love. Now I wish I loved exercise. If I loved exercise, then I would probably exercise all the time. But exercise is it's not something I love. So I struggle to get out and to take a walk and to get the exercise that I need. So you will obey what you love. The, the things that you love, the, the, those things will come naturally to you. 
And when a person loves Jesus, he or she will obey Jesus. She'll follow, he or she will follow Jesus in obedience. Because whatever you love comes naturally to you. It's a natural response. And obedience and love towards God is more than a Pavlonian response. You know Pavlov's experiment with the, the dogs and the bells and the food. Most of us probably know of his experiments with dogs, how uh, he would ring a bell. Every time he would feed the dog, he would ring a bell. And pretty soon all he had to do was ring the bell and the dog would begin to salivate. Because there was a connection there. It was this Pavlonian response, this responsive nature of association. But obedience to God is more than that. Uh, Obedience to God is the result of being given a new nature. Because Christ has created a new nature within us, we have this desire to follow and to obey God. It's not a, it's, 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 it's becomes a natural response. Sort of like when I, I smell fried chicken cooking, I begin to salivate. When we've been given a new nature by God in Christ Jesus, we automatically desire to love him. Loving and obeying Jesus doesn't come naturally. To love and obey Jesus, we need to be given this new nature. And by grace... God creates a new nature within us. He gives us a new heart to love and to obey Jesus. And when we're given a new nature, loving and obeying Jesus comes more naturally. And and we don't do this automatically because we have a sinful nature. We teach that we are born with a sinful nature. We call this the doctrine of original sin. And in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, we read, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is Satan, who is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were what? We were by nature deserving wrath. But then we read in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So this is the good news of the gospel. Apart from Christ, by nature, by nature we have this desire to sin. But then because of this thing uh, called grace and mercy that comes through Jesus Christ, He's created within us a new nature that desires to love and desires to obey God. So we've inherited a sinful nature from Adam, from our first parents in the garden. But thanks be to God, we've been given a new nature 
And this new nature desires to follow God. And this new nature isn't from ourselves. It's a gift of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So we need this new nature in us. Have you ever noticed that you do not need to teach a child how to disobey? Disobedience comes so naturally to kids. Put a a bowl of candy in the middle of a room with a bunch of kids. Tell them you're not allowed to touch the candy. Leave the room for a little while. What are they going to do? Their hands are going to be right in that candy jar. We're the same. We're just like those kids. We're no different than those kids. We have inherited this sin nature from Adam. And we really can't stop sinning unless the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work in us. So you know this. Have you ever tried to stop a bad habit? It's such a difficult thing. There are so many bad habits that I've struggled with in my life. And I find it so difficult to stop the things that I know I need to stop. So as those born with the sin nature, which is inherited from Adam and Eve, it's a difficult thing to obey Jesus. But thanks be to God in His grace and mercy, He's come to us by means of the gospel, by means of the sacraments, to make us alive again in Christ Jesus, and to give us a new nature that desires to love and obey our Redeemer. But even those of us who have been given a new nature, this new nature that's born of God within us, those of us who have been born born again of God, we Christians, we still struggle to love and obey. We have this desire within us to obey God, to love God, but we're still weakened by the flesh. Even as people who have been given a new nature, born of the Spirit, we still retain a sinful nature. The Protestant reformers referred to this as, they used Latin, they referred to it as simul justice et peccator. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are simultaneously righteous and sinner. So we've been given a new nature in Christ. But simultaneously we are still sinners. So we live as those who've been liberated by the gospel. Been given a new nature by the Holy Spirit. But we still retain a sinful nature. So each and every one of us struggle even as Christians. Saved by God, each and every one of us, we struggle to love God and to obey God. We are so prone to wander from God. And as we study the Bible, we see that this is true. In Romans chapter 7, we read, I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Now remember... This is the Apostle Paul. We would think that the man who wrote most of the New Testament would have eventually come to a point where he didn't struggle. But no, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle of of our faith, he struggled. 
Just like you and I struggle, he says, I have discovered this principle that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Man, I can identify with that. He says, I love God's law with all my heart. Verse 23. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So there is this sin that's still within us. Then go on to the next verse. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He says in verse 25, Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is the hope that we have in this struggle. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. If you struggle to love God and to obey God, you're normal. You're in the same company as the Apostle Paul. Again, put a bowl full of candy in a room full of kids. Tell them not to eat any of the candy. Leave the room for a little while. You think they'll obey? Do you think the kids should obey? You think the kids know that they should obey? Of course they know they should obey. Can they obey? Probably not. And we're no different. I can't keep my hands out of the candy dish. I know that I shouldn't eat all of those sweets. But there's another law at work in my flesh. Simul justice et peccator. I'm simultaneously righteous and sinner. If you struggle to love and obey God, you're normal. So then the question is this. What do we have? What strength do we have? What resources do we have in our battle against the old sinful nature? The answer is is that we have everything that we need. You have everything that you need today in Christ Jesus in your battle against the sinful flesh. By God's grace, you have been given a new nature. A new nature has been given to you that in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, by means of the gospel can overcome sin. John 14, 15, and 7, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who is that other helper? Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is good news. Have the Holy Spirit, who is your helper in this battle today. How does the Holy Spirit work? So you have the Spirit, but you've been given another resource. How does the Spirit work? As you open the Word, 
Open the Scriptures. Read the Word. Hear the Word. Meditate upon the Word. Pray the Word. Be a person of the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit works by means of His Word. And he does through his word. It's not just a natural word. It's not a man-made word. It is a powerful word because it is the very word of God. And he works through it. It penetrates our hearts. And it causes us to be free. To love. Free to obey. But what he does also through his word is is he brings you to the conviction of sin. He grants you repentance. And what a beautiful gift repentance is. That he opens our eyes to, he, he shows me my faults, he shows me my sin. And then he says, I give you this gift of repentance. To turn and to trust in Jesus. He strengthens our faith through His Word. So the Word of God is key, is key. If you are going to become a person who grows in your love for God, in your obedience to Him, you need to be a person of the Word. Trying to obey apart from the Word, apart from the Holy Spirit working through the Word, your, your obedience isn't going to have the proper motivation. So if I go out and I say, I'm going to be a really good Christian, but I'm trusting in my own strength, I'm not trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to go out and be the best Christian I can be. One of two things is going to happen. One possibility is is that I'll become really arrogant and puffed up. And I'll say, look at me, look at how good I am, but look at all those other Christians who really don't have it all together. You see, when I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit working through the Word to become a person who loves and obeys God, there's a certain level of humility there. Because I know that without Him, I just, I can't do it. I don't have a chance. So there's that possibility. I become like the Pharisees, puffed up, arrogant, uh, condescending, looking down upon others, thinking I'm a really wonderful person. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is despondency. Is that I go out and I try to be a really good person, but I'm really honest about who I am, and I realize that no matter how hard I try, I can never achieve. I never really can become the Christian that truly loves God or obeys God. So then I become extremely discouraged, and I'm, I'm, I'm just filled with guilt and shame, because no matter how hard I try, I can't achieve. But when we're a people who are dependent upon God in His grace and in His mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit, then there is a freedom. Then there's a certain level of humility. And there's joy in loving and obeying. If it's up to me, I end up in a dark place. Either in despondency or I become very condescending like the Pharisees. So that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to truly do a transformative work in our hearts.
You see, the Bible is God's word that comes to us and the power and might of the Spirit to transform us into people who truly, joyfully, and with freedom obey Jesus, or love Jesus and obey him. If I'm trying to obey apart from the means of the Holy Spirit, working through the word, my, motive, my obedience won't have the proper motivation. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed, what? At work in you who believe. So is the word at work in your heart today. And then we've also been reminded from our epistle reading today that you've also been given the sacraments. So as Lutherans, we believe in the power of the means of grace. And the means of grace are the word and the sacraments. So the sacraments are the means through which God delivers his invisible grace, invisible means. You see, God's grace is an invisible thing. But when I take the bread, or when I take the cup, and I eat and I drink, it is God delivering to me His invisible grace and through visible means. I can take it, I can touch it, I can taste it, I can know that it's real for me. That His body was broken, His blood was shed. And that that very sacrament delivers the promise of the gospel. And in baptism, it signifies that the old sinful nature has been washed away and that a new nature has emerged. Not because of what we've done for God, but because of what God has done for us in sending Jesus to die upon the cross and to rise again for our redemption. You see, baptism is not just plain water, but it's water combined with the Word of God. And it becomes for us a means of grace. A means through which we know that our sins have been washed away because of what Jesus has promised in the Gospel. You see, baptism is not what we do to show our commitment to God Rather, baptism is what God does to show His commitment to us. So baptism is that gracious work of God in our lives. And He says to you in the waters of baptism, your sins have washed away. Your sins have been washed away. So you may not remember your baptism, But remembering the fact that you are baptized, that you are a baptized child of God, will help you in your battle against our old sinful nature. Martin Luther asks the question, what does such baptizing with water indicate? What is this water, this this act of baptism, what does it indicate? What is it teaching us? It indicates that the old Adam in us should, should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. And that a new man should daily emerge to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. 
See, baptism indicates that the old sinful nature has drowned and it's died. And it indicates that a new nature has emerged to live before God in righteousness and holiness. And where is this written? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So as a baptized, believing child of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now through the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit through the Word, and through the sacraments, you can be a person who desires to love God, to love Jesus, and to obey Jesus. Will you stumble and fall? As one who believes and is baptized. Will you stumble and fall? Yeah. You will. But Jesus is always there to pick you up. He takes you by the hand. And he says, I love you. You are my child. And he picks you up. He puts you back on your feet. So that you can live... A life in which you love Him and obey Him. And in church, you don't need to carry guilt around. You don't need to have this burden of guilt upon your shoulders. You see, the old sinful nature, it drowned. It's dead. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's raised you from death. He has united you to the death and burial of Jesus Christ. So don't let your failure define you. People are trying to identify with all sorts of things today. People's identity is a big thing. They want to identify as this or they want to identify as that. You know what I want to be identified with? And who I want to be identified in is Jesus Christ. That's where I want my identity to be, is in Jesus. I don't want to, to, to be identified with anything but Jesus. And what he has done upon the cross, in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. I want his nature be my nature. And when a person is united to Jesus in faith, a new nature that loves like Jesus and lives like Jesus emerges. And then light shines forth into every dark part of our world. So may we be God's baptized children, living in love and obedience because of what Jesus has done. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. And I pray now for this congregation. I pray now for myself. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, working through your word, that you would increase in us a, a true love for you and a desire to obey you. 
Help us not to be a people who are burdened by our guilt because we've made mistakes, because we failed, because we've sinned. Help us to not be identified by our failure, but to be identified in what you have done and in who you are for us today. So that every day we can wake up and know who we are and know what our purpose is. That we can live it out in the freedom of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. You may stand as we sing together.